0: Um, I want to begin by giving a really warm welcome to a friend that we have in the room from all the way over the other side of the world. Uh, I want to say hi, everyone. I want you to turn around and say hi to Mitch. Mitch, put your hand up. Mitch is from Sovereign Grace Church of Bloomington in Minnesota. So um, Mitch flew all the way around the world to see me preach right now. He's a pilot with United Airlines and he's just happened to be in Sydney and happened to turn up this morning. So thank you, Mitch, for joining us. Mitch is part of the church where uh, I went to pastor's college with a guy called Ben Mauer. If you've seen any of those photos, he's the dude with a really long beard. Uh, That's the church that Mitch is a part of, a great, faithful, beautiful Southern Grace Church. So it's so cool to have you here with us. Thanks for visiting. All right, guys, we are in our Exodus series. Um, If you could open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, please. Now, I'm going to read verse 1 through to 17. So the sermon is technically verses 1 to 2, but it's introduction to the whole mini-series we're doing on the Ten Commandments. So I'm going to read all the Ten Commandments this morning. And um, may the Lord bless the reading and preaching of His Word. Would you read with me? And God spoke all these words, saying, I... You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, <clears throat> am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, to the Lord your God, on it. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore God blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long sorry that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor you shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife Or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything else that is your neighbour's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off, and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Let us pray. Dear God, I pray and ask that this morning you would fill our hearts with a love for your law. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Humble us this morning, Lord. Teach us this morning, Lord. Lead us this morning, Lord, by your Spirit and for your glory. Please, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in one of the most famous parts of the Bible, in Exodus chapter 20, the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments. And we've been in this story of Exodus where we've seen God take his people, Israel, out of slavery in Egypt, which they were under oppression for 400 years, and bring them into freedom. And finally, they're now where God promised to take them, at the mountain of God, at Mount Sinai. And they're there as free people. And God has declared his love towards them. God has said, you are my treasured possession. But then God turns up in a marvellous way, as we saw last week, in fire, in thunder, in smoke, in shaking, and in trumpet blasts. And the people were terrified, as we saw in the last bit there. And God speaks to Moses and Moses to God. And that kind of lays the scenery and the context and the foundation for the giving of the Ten Commandments. And we as a church are going to actually slow down now and take about 10 or 11 weeks to go through the Ten Commandments. When you hear that, when you think, oh, 10, 11 weeks on the Ten Commandments, what well, first comes to mind when you think the Ten Commandments? They're not normally everyone's go-to favourite Bible verses. Not many people have them printed on their journal. they like, oh, I love the Ten Commandments. They're so nice. You know, we often see the Ten Commandments as negative. We think laws, restriction, telling us what we can't do. We think Charlton Heston in, you know, the old movie. We think we have all these, you know, bad images. And it feels weird that three and a half thousand years after they were given these laws, that we would, in Sydney, Australia, spend almost three months of our life studying them. Aren't they a bit outdated, negative, restrictive? How do they apply to us today? And to be honest, uh, that was my first instinct when Dave and Brendan, I was actually still in America, I think, when they told me, they are like, oh, we're going to do the series on Exodus, and it's going to be really long, and we're going to do a mini-series on the Ten Commandments, and we're going to spend 11 weeks going through them. I was like, oh, (laughs) great, (laughs) that sounds really good. Uh, And then later on, we were thinking, oh, maybe we should shorten the series a little bit. And I thought, oh, great, let's shorten the Ten Commandments into one, let's get rid of it. Uh, And so... If you're sitting here thinking, oh no, what am I going to do? Have I got like holiday plans for the next 12 weeks? (laughs) How do I get out of this Ten Commandments series? You're not alone. It's a common feeling when we think about laws, regulations and rules. And to be honest, you know, it's my instinct as well. However, as I've started studying this, the Ten Commandments and indeed the whole law throughout Scripture, my eyes have been opened. And I've actually, it's been such a joyful week because I've started to see the whole Bible differently. In fact, when we get the right perspective on the Ten Commandments, it changes everything. You see, if you read through the Psalms, like Simon read for us today, uh, you'll see that the way the psalmist views the law is really different to our natural first thought. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. How I love your law, the law reviving my soul. I I don't know about you, but when I'm feeling a bit down, my go-to, like, pick-me-up Bible verse passage is not the Ten Commandments. It's not where I go. So what, what is the psalmist talking about? What am I missing? What are we missing if that's how he talks about the law There's a disconnect. And so what we need to do is actually change our perspective. And that's what I'm hoping this sermon will do. This sermon is an introduction to the Ten Commandments and the law and really the rest of the book of Exodus because now we're in the second half of Exodus. First half, get them out of Egypt. Second half, teach them how to live. And that's where we find ourselves today. And so this morning I want to ask this one question. How are we meant to rightly view the Ten Commandments today? How are we meant to rightly view them today? And I think, the originally I had five points, don't worry, three, I cymbled it down. I think we need to see three things, three keys that will actually unlock how we view the Ten Commandments and the law. I think the fallback is still on. I can hear, that's what I, anyway, just... Um, We need three keys and maybe three foldbacks or something that will help us see and hear differently. Uh, And that's what we're going to go. Three points today, but one main idea. Here's Here's my thesis statement and the title of the sermon. We need to see that the Ten Commandments are this, ready? They're a gracious path to life. The law is a gracious path to life. And it's my hope that by the end of this message and through this series, that God would change our hearts so that we can declare with the psalmist, oh, how I love your law. That would be a miracle. (laughs) But God can do that. And I believe that through the preaching of his word, he can do that in us today. So point number one, point number one, if you're taking notes, the first thing we need to see to unlock the sort of mystery of the law in the Ten Commandments is this. We need to see the gracious order of the Ten Commandments. So for this first point, we're going to spend our time in verses 1 to 2. And we, we need to sort of ask this question. Before we get to the giving of the Ten Commandments, what's the context? What comes before? And often what comes before unlocks what comes after in Scripture. So what is the context of the Ten Commandments? Well, let's read them again. Verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, let's, let's unpack it a bit together. So a couple of observations. Number one, up until this point, Every communication between God and the people of Israel, it's been Moses to God, or Moses and Aaron and God, and then they relay it back to the people. So God to Moses to the people. Now everything changes. You see, they're standing before the mountain of God, and it's quaking, it's thundering, it's smoking, it's bellowing, it's, it's scary. And then it's not God speaking to Moses anymore, it's God speaking directly to the people. Look at verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. And it changes from, you know, these plural, you all, and it's actually a singular. All the Ten Commandments are singular commands. So it's as if God is looking out at his people and saying, I, God, am your God, and I'm your God, and I'm your God, and I'm your God. And then it's like he's saying, you shall have no idols, you shall not covet, you shall not lie, you shall not steal, and it's individual. The whole tone changes. Israel is now no longer talking to Moses about God, God is talking to Israel and they can hear his voice. Note too that God is the giver of the Ten Commandments. So God is speaking directly to his people. Moses isn't inventing some restrictive way of living up on the mountain and thinking, how can I make their lives miserable? These people annoy me. Ah, oh, here we go. I'm gonna come up with these commandments and make them live by them. And he goes down and goes, here's the law and then comes up with all these things. That's not what's happening. The 10 commandments come directly from God to the people. They're a discrete unit. They all go together. They're one message delivered. Okay, so they come from God to the people. That's the first thing we see. The second thing we need to see in the context is this, verse 2. I and the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Notice the gracious order of the Ten Commandments. Where do they come in the story? Is it before they are saved? Or after? It's after, isn't it? The Ten Commandments come after they're already out of Egypt. They're already saved. They're already redeemed. They're already His treasured possession. If God had made the Ten Commandments the prerequisite for Israel getting out of Egypt, they'd still be there today. The Ten Commandments aren't designed to save you or to save Israel. They have a different purpose. And that is why God speaks to Israel and before giving the commands, He reminds them of what He has already done. You see, before God tells them what to do, He tells them what He's already done. Before He thunders, thou shalt not, He roars, I have redeemed you. You see the order The grace comes before. The grace, the gospel, the redemption comes first, and then the law and the instruction comes next. As we approach the Ten Commandments, we need to know this the first note in the law is grace. It's probably not our first thought when we think Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, grace? But that's what these verses teach us. Isn't that incredible? Alec Mortier says it like this in his commentary. It was the God of salvation who imposed his law on his people. The grace that saves preceded the law that demands. The people were given the law not in order that they might become the redeemed, rather, it was because they had already been redeemed that they were given the law. Isn't this our story too? God came after us first. He saves us first through Jesus and then he demands our all-of-life obedience. It's the logic in the New Testament. In Titus chapter 3, it says, we who were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, hating one another and being hated by one another, But God, who is rich in mercy, saved us. We were slaves to sin. God comes and saves us. And then we be zealous for good works. That's the logic you see in Titus chapter 3. Or in 1 John chapter 4, it says, we love because he first loved us. You're loved, now obey. That's the logic of biblical ethics, according to Kevin DeYoung. So we often think the Old Testament, right? We all, Old Testament, law. New Testament, grace. It's not like that. They're both grace. Because it's the same God on Mount Sinai as it is on Mount Golgotha. The same God who demands the law provides the sacrifice. So when you look at verse 2, you, you might be thinking, if you've read through Exodus many times, you'll see, This is not the first time we've heard of their redemption. It's actually redundant information. God doesn't need to say it. But always in the Scriptures, when there's repetition, it's not there just for fun or for filler. It's there for a divinely appointed purpose. So God gathers His people and reminds them, because they're so prone to forget, just like us, that grace comes first. C.J. Mahaney says it like this. There is a divine order here in the prologue that creates, and I love this expression, the environment of grace for all that follows in the giving of the law. i give that again and the quote should be on the screen. There's a divine order here in the prologue that creates the environment of grace for all that follows in the giving of the law. That's so important. This changes Everything, the gracious order of the Ten Commandments unlocks the whole thing. Now we step into the Ten Commandments, but we're in a new environment. We're in a new context. It's grace. The Ten Commandments come in the context of grace. Yes, thunder, lightning, fear, (laughs) everyone's afraid, but don't miss the grace. So, in order to rightly view the Ten Commandments, we must first see this key, the gracious order of them. Grace comes first. The Ten Commandments are a gracious path to life. So that was point number one. Now, point number two, we need to kind of look at the purpose of the Ten Commandments. So this is point number two. We need to see the gracious purpose of the Ten Commandments. We've seen the context, now the purpose. And we want to ask this question. And we're going to be a bit more general and broad now for the whole law and commandments in the Bible. Why does God give Israel the Ten Commandments? What is their purpose? Why all the laws, restrictions and regulations? I mean, it seems like such a restriction. They'd been under harsh slavery with Pharaoh. Now they're free And they've hardly been free for three months and now God's giving them all the laws again. They're under slavery. They're under restriction. They're being told what thou shalt not do. That's what it can feel like when we read it. That's what it can feel like when you open your Bible or you hear, or maybe you're not yet a Christian and you hear about Christianity, you just see thou shalt not. You're like, oh, (laughs) I'd rather just do whatever I want. You know, like, why would I follow this when it tells me what I... I can't do what I want to do. But again, this is why we need the right perspective of the Ten Commandments. Because remember, the psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. How can the psalmist say these things? How can we grow to love the law? How can it be a gracious path to life? Well, we need to understand the purpose of the Ten Commandments. See, the first First thing we need to see is the Ten Commandments is actually a summary, really, of the whole law. So, in the rest of the five books of the the first five books of the Bible, which is often called the Torah or the Law, we get 613 different commands. It's a lot, right? We think that's a lot, but actually in America, they tried to count the number of laws and they sent a Senate inquiry to figure out how many laws there are. And after five years, the, the Senate inquiry came back and said, we can't figure it out. There's too many. They talk, we're talking millions and millions. Okay, so 613 ain't that bad. But of the 613, the first 10 is actually the constitution, really. It's the summary. So when you think 10 commandments, think That's what God said to everyone all at one time. Then the other 603 laws, God speaks to Moses and tells him. And the other 603 are really case law. They're sort of applying the Ten Commandments to all of the life of Israel. And you can even summarise the Ten Commandments down into two. Jesus did that. What is the greatest command, he's asked? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And love your neighbour as yourself. Look at the Ten Commandments again. The first four: love God. Five through ten: love your neighbor. So the Ten Commandments actually are not just this dispensable list of funny rules that were once believed a long time ago and used to be believed in our country, and no longer. No, no, no. They summarize who God is, what God demands. They reflect the lawgiver, and they reflect His good purposes. The second thing we need to see is that the law itself um, is sometimes a misleading term. We think law, and we just think black and white, you know, do it or don't. If you do it, fine. If you don't do it, punishment. Um, But the word Torah, which is the word used to summarise the law, actually has a bit of a broader meaning. Uh, And so the first five books of the Bible are called Torah. So everything in Genesis through to Deuteronomy is Torah, because the word Torah. Excuse me, actually means instruction. It it has this element of a father instructing his son. It's used like that in the Proverbs. And so when we think of the law, think instruction. God, the sovereign heavenly father, with his newborn son Israel, teaching them how to live in the land that he's just about to give them. That's how we see the law. It's not, it is thou shalt not, but it's in the context of. So that you may live properly in the land. The purpose of the Ten Commandments is not to ruin their lives and to make them miserable. It's actually to make them better. Imagine if they get into the Promised Land. Think about it. They were slaves for 400 years, worshipping Egyptian gods. They don't know right from wrong or left from right. They don't know how to live. I mean, you just see them in the wilderness. They don't know what to do, and humans instinctively, we don't know. You know, we have some instinct, we sort of get it right, but most of the time, leave us to ourselves, we get it all wrong. So put all the Israelites in the promised land, and they're just going to kill each other, and they're going to be done in like three weeks. So the law actually comes in as the teacher to guide them and show them the right way to live. Kevin DeYoung says it like this. Have you ever thought about how much better life would be if everyone kept the Ten Commandments? If everyone kept the Ten Commandments we wouldn't need copyright laws, patent laws, or intellectual property rights. We wouldn't need locks on our doors or fraud protection. We wouldn't have to spend money on weapons and defense systems. We wouldn't need courts or contracts or prisons. See, the Ten Commandments are more than just thou shalt nots. They actually show a way to live. So the law, although it looks scary, is actually grace. Grace. It's good. In a world gone crazy, where we don't know right from wrong, where we in our society call that which is evil good and that which is good evil, the law is solid ground. You can think of the law like this. I'm going to give two illustrations in this section to try and really help like, cement it. So the first one, imagine you're driving um, on a steep mountain and there's cliffs on either side and you're trying to get to the top to look at the summit and the view and all the glory that is there and you're driving along. When you see like the cliff on one side, but a guardrail on this side and a guardrail on this side and two white lines down the middle so people can't just drive wherever they want, you don't see those guardrails as restrictive. You see them and you celebrate them. You're grateful that they're there. That's what the law is like. Guardrails on either side to keep us on the path to lead us to new pleasures, new delights, new opportunities. Without the guardrails, we fall off on either side. Love God on one side, love neighbor on the other. Without them, we fall over. We don't know where we're going and we miss out on the pleasure and joy that God offers. You see, the guardrails at first, you might think, oh, but I want to drive with two wheels over the cliff. It'd be thrilling. Or I want to drive off the cliff. Those three seconds would be epic. That's what sin says to us. That's what temptation says. It says, this will be better. Those guardrails, they are stopping you from having all the fun in the world. Drive off the cliff. It'll be awesome. And it would maybe if you had the right mentality for about three seconds until you're staring down and thinking, oh, this is the air. Okay, until you crash down the bottom. The guardrails protect us from forbidden pleasures that lead to death. The guardrails The law protects us from forbidden pleasures that lead only to death. Forbidden lusts, forbidden possessions, forbidden deceit, forbidden rebellion. Honor your parents, that command. Forbidden work, Sabbath, forbidden gods. You see, these forbidden pleasures offer so much life, yet they only, only brothers and sisters and friends They only possess death, short-term thrill, long-term kill. That was bad. (laughs) So when we see it like this, when we have this perspective of the law, it actually helps us to see how the law is a gracious pathway to life. You can see now how the psalmist might go, oh, how I love your law because I get to stay on the path that the creator of the universe has created who is the source of all joy and goodness and blessing so that I can experience more joy. The law reorients our desires and points us into the right direction. Forbidden pleasures But we find all new ones in Christ and in God. That's how the law works. Do you want that? Is that what you want? True, lasting satisfaction and pleasure. Eternal joy, peace and security. Well, the law is a gift to you. Because it can lead you in that way. So, what is the purpose of the law? It's a gracious path to life. It protects us from sin and leads us to new delights. I said I'd give you two illustrations, and I really want to slow down on this point because if we get this, this is going to change everything. Okay, so the first one is the guardrails. It's a bit impersonal. We're on a path, guardrails. Okay, second one, a bit more personal. I'm going to add a human element into it. Say you go down the beach and you see the epic surfer guys and girls and they're surfing barrels, carving it up, you know, you doing all that. You know, their hair's long. They look free and cool. They're loving it. They're paddling out. They're just flicking. And you're like, I want to be like that. So you go down and you, buy, you pay for lessons for a surf school for a week. You're like, I want the freedom of surfing. I want to feel that rush. I don't even know. Yeah, something like that. You, I want that. That's what I want. And you buy your wetsuit. and You get given one of those massive foam boards. And you go down to the beach. And you plonk the board on the beach. And you're ready. You're like, OK, teach me. OK, hurry up. Let's get out there. You see the waves curling over. You're like, let's do it. And then the instructor sits you down and says, okay, uh, we're not going to surf for the next couple of hours. You're like, what? And he sits there for an hour or two and explains how the waves work, how the tide comes in and out, how the rocks are dangerous, the coal reefs. He explains rips and currents and you know, the, the rules about who gets on a wave first and where not to surf and where to surf. And, and you're sitting there thinking... What are you doing? I want to surf. Let's go. Hurry it up. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't die. Let's go. And you think that all the joy is being sucked out of the experience because you're being told what you have to do and not do. You're being instructed by the expert. And you put your hand up and say, can't we just go and do it? And he says, trust me and you look at him and you're like, okay, I trust you. You've got like the tan and everything and you're ready to go. Okay. And then, so he says, all right, everyone pick up your board. So you get up, you pick up your board and you're ready to go. You're like, finally going to surf. It's going to be awesome. And then he says, okay, now put your board back down. And what we're going to do for the next hour or two is we're going to practice the exact right stance so that you can every time get up on the wave in the right spot on the ball with your feet in the right position, with the right balance so that you can catch wave. And you're like, oh my gosh, come on, can't be that hard. And so you put the board down, and then for the next couple of hours, you stand there, and you, I'm not going to do it because I'll probably break the microphone, but you, you get up on the board, and you do the thing, and then you get back down, you get up, and you're like, oh, come on, get us out there. And you put your hand up again, and you say, can't we just go and surf? And he says, trust me, I know how to surf. I know the best way to experience the ocean. If you ever want to ride a barrel, if you ever want to say, "You." Just trust me. You need to learn the best way to do it first and then you will be free to actually enjoy the waves and not drown or kill someone. That's how the law works. That's what God is doing. Now, God's not a hippie surfer dude, so don't make that connection. But God is saying to Israel, before you get into the land, trust me. I'm going to give you Torah instruction. It's a gracious path to life. Okay, it's going to bristle with you, it's going to make you afraid, but I'm teaching you how to actually live. So, first key, the gracious order of the Ten Commandments. The second thing we, need to, we saw was the gracious purpose of the Ten Commandments. They protect us from sin, they teach us the best way to live. The third and final thing we need to see is this, the gracious fulfillment of the Ten Commandments the gracious fulfillment of the Ten Commandments. How did Israel go in obeying the Ten Commandments? You know, um, if you read through the rest, you'll see that they say, we will obey everything in the law. That's their disposition. They get it. They're like, okay, this is what we're meant to do and we're afraid of you, so we'll do it. But it's not long afterwards, in fact Moses is still on the mountain, they're still at Sinai, when they break the second commandment and make an idol and worship a golden calf and say, you brought us out of Egypt. The Israelites failed so quickly, they broke them, they went straight off the cliff, (laughs) they plummeted down, they drowned out the back of the surf and experienced none of it. How do we go in obeying the ten commandments? If you were to go through and do that, you know, that old evangelical, um, you know, walk-up thing, have you ever lied? You're a liar. Have you ever stolen? You're a thief. Have you ever committed adultery? Oh, lusted after, you know, you're an adulterer. We all fail that test. Especially maybe the Sabbath. (laughs) So why am I talking so positively about the law if our common experience of it is, and the experience of Israel, is they break it and it's so negative? In fact, you might have been thinking this whole time, hmm, Riley's being very positive about the law, but my experience of the law in the New Testament is actually quite negative. So how does this all work together? Well, you're right. It's not the only side to the law. You see, if you look at Galatians 3.10, you'll see a different perspective. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Uh Uh-oh. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Wait, I thought there were a gracious path to life. Yeah, but if you break one, you're dead. That's not good. What's going on? Romans 7 picks up on this tension as well. Hmm. There it is. Romans 7, 5. This is the New Testament. Paul speaking who? He knew the law pretty well. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So in Galatians 3, we saw that if you don't obey the law, you die. And now we see in Romans 7 that the law actually kind of has this function where like the wet paint function don't touch the wet paint. What do you do? Mm. Don't tread on the lawn. Uh. You, you hear the law, do not steal, do not lie. And we're like, mm. you know, that's what the law seems to do. It's not the law's fault. It's our sinful nature. Our nature hears law and we go, oh, I'm not going to do that. I know better. So how is the law good? How does this work? We might be thinking, and you might have and this is my normal perspective. The law is bad. The law, like, let's just not think about the law. Let's think about Jesus. Woo! You know. Let's not think about the law. But then Paul goes on to say this in Romans 7, um, verse 7. He says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Okay, so it's confusing. Positive, negative. It leads us to sin, curses. But it's not sin. Uh, Look at verse 10. The very commandment the promised life proved to be death to me. Oh, so I've said the law is a gracious path to life and now Paul's saying the very commandment the promised life proves to be death. What is going on? How do we put this all together? How can it be both? Well, that's the third key that unlocks everything else. Here's the third key. The third thing we need to see is this. That the law is grace, because as it shows us the path to life, it also shows us that we can never, ever, ever, ever fulfill it on our own. We can't do it ourselves. Remember the Israelites? They heard the law. Their response was, we don't want to speak to God anymore. We want Moses back. Okay, we want Moses, we need a mediator because God is scary. So God, Moses, us, and we have this Moses guy and God, you can kill him sort of thing. Like that's that's how they want it to go. They want, you know, this mediator. They realize they need someone between them and God. Yet Moses can never be the perfect mediator for Israel because he's a sinner too. So it leaves them all exposed. They're lawbreakers. You're a lawbreaker. I'm a lawbreaker. We're exposed before a holy God and we have no hope. The law is a path that leads to life because ultimately the law leads us to Jesus. It shows our need for salvation. It shows how Jesus is our perfect mediator who fulfilled the law For us, because we never could. You see, the law exposes my sin and your sin, and then it shows us a need for a Savior. And this is good news because the God on Mount Sinai sent his Son to Mount Golgotha, where he was crucified in our place. You see, Jesus came, the Son of God and perfectly fulfilled the law. He even said himself in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, do not think that I came to abolish the law, so we can't get away from it. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The New Testament is not void of the law. We are not outside of the law. It stands over us and we're condemned. Yet Jesus is the culmination of the law. He brings righteousness for us. You see, he perfectly abided the law. He perfectly walked the path of life, loving God, loving neighbor. He perfectly enjoyed the heavenly Father. And he fulfills the law in every single detail and command. And then he fulfills the law By going to the cross. And on the cross, he fulfills the curse of the law. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ became a curse for you and me. For the ones who broke the law, he becomes a curse. So he fulfills the law by taking the curses on the law on himself so that we might receive the blessing. Isn't that incredible? Jesus fulfills the law for us. And that totally changes how now we see the law because the law then, when it exposes our sin, leads us to Jesus and reminds us we're saved. It teaches us again how far we fall short and then it reminds us he has paid the price. And then the law no longer acts as this to-do list of things I gotta do to be good enough to be with God. Instead, We know we can never do it. If you're trying to make yourself good enough for God, please give up. You'll never do it. You've already failed. You've already failed. You'll never be good enough for God. Only Jesus can be. And so you come to Christ. You repent of your sin. You say, I am a lawbreaker. I'm guilty. I need the sacrifice for my sin. I need him to die in my place. And then you can receive the law as a gift as a gracious pathway to life because then it teaches you how to live and it's the guardrails and it's the surf instructor and it actually shows you the best way to live in this wicked world. Okay. I think we'll end there. There's a lot more we could say uh, and it's incredible and I've really enjoyed uh, and I think the Lord has, you know, opened my eyes to behold wondrous things out of the law um, through my study this week and I hope that these three keys have changed something for you. That you see that the law is grace. See, the grace comes before the law. Salvation comes before the obedience. The purpose of the law, it's a path to life and it leads us to Jesus. So now, may we, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, those who've been cleansed of all of our law-breaking, would we now come to the law... To God's ethical instruction, the Ten Commandments, and all throughout the Bible and throughout the New Testament, every command, and instead of seeing it as overbearing or instead of seeing it as like, oh, I'm never going to measure up, now it's a gift to teach you the best way to live, to enjoy the Creator who loved you enough to save you from your sin. So now we can join with the psalmist and say, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. Would you pray with me? Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we come before you as unworthy ones, lawbreakers and thieves, guilty yet through your Son, cleansed and set free. Thank you for sending Jesus to fulfill the law on our behalf, to take the curse that we might receive the blessing. It's too good to be true, O Lord. And Lord, would you be our instructor? Teach us as a church how to love your law, how to live in your way. Protect us from sin. Protect us from forbidden pleasures that lead to death and open up to us whole new vistas of delight. Lead us, O Lord, into the path of life that we may have joy and joy to the full. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.